0: Tickets.com or supportive independent bookstores. More information on kpfa.org. For so many, Sengupta, coming March 22nd. You are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248, BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Jennifer Stone and Cover to Cover. Uh. darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw today is March the 15th, 2016, the Ides of March. Ah, ah, yes, the 15th is the Ides. Caesar, you remember, Caesar was warned by a soothsayer to beware the Ides of March. I think you remember why. (laughs) Never mind, no way to get away from... These politics, electoral politics, are the, the headache of our time. Some people think that we may be in for Greek tragedy. Uh, and most of us still think it's a Roman farce, at least for the moment. i got to hand it to Hillary Clinton. She arrived at Nancy Reagan's funeral in a swanky blue pants suit. The other women were all in skirts and black and stockings and all those conservative things. Uh, I just want to read you one thing. I have something uh, exciting. I have a piece on on the Irish, but before that, I want to tell you one thing. Uh, I was listening to some of the pundits talking about Republicans, and I just wanted to uh, tell you that they have not always been as difficult. I mean, Lincoln was a Republican, remember? Now, back in the mid-50s, there was a guy called Barry Goldwater. Hillary Clinton actually worked, worked on his campaign. I think, I don't remember which which campaign it was. It was in the 50s. She was a schoolgirl. Anyway, uh, let's see. He died in 1998, and he was, let's see, 89, I guess. Anyway. He was a senator from Arizona and a presidential nominee, and here's what he has to say so that you will see that some of the Republicans are not insane. He says, he writes, the religious factions that are growing throughout our land are trying to force government leaders into following their position 100%. If you disagree with these religious groups, they threaten you with a loss of money or votes or both. I'm frankly sick and tired of the political preachers across this country telling me as a citizen that if I want to be a moral person, I must believe in A, B, C, and D. Just who do they think they are? (laughs) Anyway, he goes on to say, I'm even more angry as a legislator. uh, I must endure the threats of every religious group who thinks it has some God-granted right to control my vote on every roll call in the Senate, I am warning them today. I will fight them every step of the way if they try to dictate their moral convictions to all Americans in the name of conservatism. Uh, Religious factions will go on imposing their will on others unless decent people... Connected to them, recognize that religion has no place in public policy. I have a little book on uh, the separation of church and state, and uh, I think I'll use it the next couple months while we're going through while we're going through this this nonsense. Uh, never mind. Uh, what I want to do first, before I forget, uh, and I'm bound to forget because I have too much stuff here in front of me. Uh, I I want to invite the listeners, anybody listening, uh, to a celebration that's happening here in Berkeley. It's a celebration of the first reading of Ellen Ginsberg's poem, Howl. I don't even have the date. It was, again, the 50s. I saw, yes, you remember, yes, I saw the best minds of my generation. You know the rest of that stuff. Yes, I saw them. Uh, uh, I was one of them. Anyway. Sometimes I read Ginsberg late at night, mostly along with Joan Baez, you know, Diamonds and Rust. I've been playing that all week. Ah, uh, Deja Vu. Leonard Cohen, too. Leonard Cohen's songs. My experience in the 1960s, well, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, I I just think, well, at the time, I didn't know enough. realize that all experience is political. I thought things were just personal. (laughs) Uh, The celebration is scheduled for uh, Friday night. It's coming Friday night, March the 18th. It's at 7.30 until whenever Barbara Dane will be there. Songs will be sung, you know. Barbara Dane is one of our local treasures. Um. ...wonderful musician. I'll be there, too. I will be there to read uh, my own Howl. (laughs) It's a feminist fist in the air. Uh, The celebration will take place in a space... ...where once was the Berkeley Drama Guild. Got that? (laughs) It's not there anymore. These days, it is a cafe... Uh, it sits on the corner of Shattuck and Stewart, and I don't have the number. Yes, it's called Scone Yes, Scone Cafe on the corner of Shattuck and uh, Stewart. Uh now if you go if you go along Shattuck and you get to the Berkeley Bowl, you've gone a little bit too far. Uh, once again. The show starts at 7.30, and uh, there's a reading of Howl, scheduled parts of it anyway. The local poets will give it their best. Now, uh, Friday, 18 March, 7.30, Scone Inch Cafe, corner of Shadigan and Stewart. Now, (laughs) I I do think uh, that things in the mid-50s were kind of exciting. I don't like to brag because everybody thinks... Uh, the fatuous 50s were a drag, but it's not true. Uh, at the Berkeley Drama Guild, we, uh, what is it? We were arty as hell. Uh, it was a community theater. We did all sorts of stuff. See, our most famous actor there was a very, very young David Carradine in those days. He was just a nervous kid, very nervous kid. Uh, he and his Brothers, they had suffered from the abandonment of their father, that Hollywood character actor John Carradine. Ah, yes, I think his best role was in Stagecoach. You know, he played these Southern gentlemen. Stagecoach, yes. Um, one of the classics of that generation. Uh, anyway. We had an eclectic approach to performance art. We did everything. Some of it was dreadful, but uh, I got to do Shakespeare, and my favorite was The Affairs of Anatole. I just loved that. I got to play a a drunken opera singer, I think. Anyway, the most uh, political play I was in was Arthur Miller's version of Ibsen's Enemy of the People. Now, That is, the original play was written by Ibsen at the end of the 19th century, and Arthur Miller decided it needed an update. But, of course, it's always the same play about corruption and greed. Uh, A doctor, the enemy of the people, he tries to confront pillars of society, the pillars of his community. Seems that there's poison in the water, déjà vu. And that's 19th century, anyway. Now, first thing I want to do before I get carried away is celebrate St. Patrick's Day. That's this Thursday, March 17th. I want to skip over my own wise cracks about the Irish, because uh, I'm only half Irish, and the worst half at that. I think the best offering I have is an essay by Peg Elliot Mayo. She wrote it for a friend... First published in 1997 in a little journal called Celtic Fringe. It's an esoteric journal. I like it very much. Uh, They they even put my poems in there. Let's see. I don't think... well, I won't have time to read mine. I'll put those aside. Maybe I can use them for uh, Friday night. Anyway, this goodie here is titled The Creation of an Irishman. And uh, it is a requiem for Tim O'Connor, a friend of the author's uh, creation of an Irishman. Tim O'Connor, born 1932, died 1989, offered by his friend, Beg Mayo. See, this guy was born, oh, just a year before me. Anyway, here we go. Celtic Fringe published this, this little, uh, little essay. Peg Mayo writes, God was in a grand good humor when the time came to invent Irishmen. I am weary, said he, of tidy lines, neat bundles, bland hues. For these islanders, I think I'll abandon the pallid moderation of sweet reason, the bland juice of measured judgment. Yes, said the God of our fathers, to the goddess of us all. Let us lean toward excess, toward passion and despair, toward impudent curiosity and imprudent impulse. I concur, said the goddess. Others we can color a safe gray or serviceable brown, but this one should be grass green all his years, fresh and tender, and I think the blue of sky after rain for a spirit cleanly inclined, yet he needs a bit of dash for the holidays, so... I say we put the dazzle of the sun on water in his eyes and a sprig of bright holly in his lapel. Falling in with her enthusiasm, God blew the breath of song into the Irishman's nostrils, endowed him with a heart that drank music, sending it to the corners of his soul. In flooding plenty, goddess, not to be left in the dust of creation, lent the Irishman her memory of poetry, both the sacred and the ribald. That's bawdy. Uh, Love of banter, convoluted theological argument, and sophomoric vulgarity competed for time on his tongue. (laughs) He was rarely to know freedom from the clatter of his mind. Ever after, the fluent gift of language flowed from his lips, constant as the patter of rain on the thatch. Now thunderous, now lolling. Caught up with the pleasure of it all, goddess fashioned the Irishman's seven senses, honing each to a fine edge all the while apprehending the dangerous temptations and delights of her gifts. For each sense, she gave him an amulet for safety, but being naughty, she paired them with a driving recklessness to abandon all caution. For taste... She gave him milk from her own breast when he fell into gluttony from loving roast beef and strong ale and chocolate too much. The Irishman would know to turn to raspberries and sweet water for relief. He would taste bitter and sour, rolling them around in his mouth and spitting with disgust. She gave him a taste to sip sweet kisses from soft lips and to lick his fingers when fruit juice ran over them. (laughs) When she gave his nose the wisdom to bury itself in honeysuckle and appreciate the sweat of horses well run, she teased him with the scent of women warm in the sun. His Tears would cause him to wander the marshes seeking the liquid song of the blackbird, often to his detriment. <laughs> they sought delicious gossip and spicy stories to repeat with slanderous delight. God, feeling that she might have really gone too far, yes, <laughs> he chided goddess that she was neglecting virtue, ''Ah, poo,'' said she, ''I'll leave that to you.'' So she continued, ''For myself I do favor the gift of touch, being fond of both rough pine bark, sticky with fragrant pitch, as well as a bit of satin sliding across my breast.'' I cherish smooth skin beneath my palm and a feel of my feet denting the sand when I race my shadow along the shore of a great sea. Yes, and for this man I give the pleasures of hot baths, rosying his hide, and the ecstasy of scratching exactly where the itch is. Yet... Haste he becomes smug and neglectful of his soul, he will know the anguish of thorns in his flesh, loneliness in the untouched moments of despair and the blush of shame. Pleased with herself, Goddess regarded the Irishman she was constructing and knew that he was good. His translucent eyes will not blink at suffering. He will note blemishes and absences, the ugly, foul, profane, and degenerate. Ah, some that he sees will entice him with horrid fascination that erodes his love of beauty. Vision for this one will encompass the spectrum, white to black, every hue between. He will take full, clear-eyed measure of the intricacies of a snail's shell, drawing his conclusions. His eyes will embrace dawn-wakened mountains drowsing in lingering sunlight. The curve of a woman's spine will incite his body and his eyes will devour words on paper as whales swallow herrings. I will put no shutters on his sight, not allowing him to pull the shades when another looks into his face. Nor will he be blind to that which he would choose to avoid. This man will be transparent, visible, and present. (laughs) Ah, me, mused the goddess. Just two more senses to complete the seven before God begins dispensing virtues. Okay, this Irishman's sense of movement his knowledge of his position in space, his ability to skulk, trot, waltz, sidestep, kneel, bend, rise to the occasion, embrace, punch, kick, jig, lift, chew, skip, and swing a club, will be with him until he draws his last triumphant breath. Now... Here's the last of the senses, the one I'll call humor. In moments of his deepest despair, when light has retreated from his world, he will laugh at his own groping. When sorrow fills him, as leather-tanning bog water fills his pond, he will shrug... He will even cloak his good deeds, yes, gentle solace to the aged and fatherly example to the young. Cloak his good deeds in jovial distraction, yes, denying his own generosity. With humor, I'll give him the gift of gab, a mind agile as a fox in the henhouse, house and wicked Pleasure in confounding others. (laughs) Okay, and now, God, I think he's strong enough to withstand your virtues. You've done well, my dear, said God, but the Irishman would be a sorry being if left alone in your tender hands. He needs the solid elements as well. Iron, copper, gold, and stone. I'll give him iron to withstand the blows of fate, to lend strength to his form. I give him endurance to forge and to beat the iron of life into plowshares and swords. Copper for malleability... The talent for gracefully taking an impression or holding stained glass up to the sun. Gold for goodness, which is a kind of purity. Gold for beauty and bangles abundance and, I'm afraid, sometimes greed. I give him stone for permanence. No frail, ephemeral creation he but one of endurance, whatever the weather. I'll toss in a dollop of mercury for change and bright reflection. I give him fire with its fearful ruthlessness and heartless consumption, the power of flame to intimidate ravenous beasts. Lacking discipline, Ah, fire will be the Irishman's master, but with intelligent attentiveness he may become wise. I give him air as well to feed the fire, to breathe, to float dandelion, fluff, and butterflies, air to pummel his body and bend trees, to lift waves around his small boat, carry pollen to his crops one more virtue for good measure within his heart, he will hear the true-toned echo of his companions' love and hate and their fear and delight. For I give him the sweet bitter gift of empathy. God has smiled on God, kissed him on the cheek, and said, I will give him all my meadows and forests, my rivers and deserts. Earth will be his, and with it great security. So now, together, let us give him water. Together, questioned God, she smiled again. Water is both virtue, your specialty, and sensibility, mine. Consider that water is our gift to this planet. Sweet-tasting, life-giving. I take credit for the beauty and plenitude of water's forms. Ice and steam, hailstones and mist, torrents and fog, still and violent. While I, said God, will give water the power to destroy and to work. <laughs> that is the fate of the Irishman to know these powers to find his way through the waters. God, you have a way of summing things up that I admire. Have you thought of what we should leave out of this creation? We wouldn't want him to have everything. It would make him too much like us. (laughs) Right you are, my dear. I realize he should not have the gift of foreknowledge. He shall never know the day of his death until it is upon him. He will always consider his end without fully believing in it. He will have memory for good and bad, childhood and youth, but no capacity to anticipate his dotage. He will always wonder, often with dread, what the future holds. Excellent, said Goddess. Now, as woman... I will deny the Irishman the means of retreating from me. Try as he will to concentrate on practical matters. I will prevent him from forgetting my needs, my charms and talents. He will have a dual consciousness, never certain that his conclusions are sustainable. Aware of his own smallness, when measured against us. One more, said God, not to be outdone, the Irishman will ever be acutely aware of what is right, (laughs) even when he can't say the words or perform the acts or resist the snares of wrong. He can never be entirely comfortable at peace or complacent. Oh, enough, sang goddess. Let us join hands and rejoice in fashioning the Irishman from such fine materials we have created a man who is flushed with the juices of life and softly vulnerable. Though he has received the best of both of us, I do believe he rather favors my side of the family. Hmm. Perhaps... My dear, said God. Ah, uh, but most of the time, he will act a whole lot like mine. That is a uh, essay, requiem written for an Irish friend by Peg Mayo, storyteller. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, dear me, Celtic. Fringe. I think we should send this to Robert Bly. That might be a good idea. Anyway, I have a, a dozen poems. and not time to read them. Once again, let me just tell you that we have a uh, program Friday night. It's at the uh, the little cafe, Sconehenge, right here in Berkeley at 7.30, corner of Shattuck and Stuart. I hope to see you there. It is three. We will have a wassail. We will have uh, a, little, a little fun. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air next week at this same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Light em up, boys. There's your picture, drop the shadow, out of sight. Hi, I'm C.S. Song, and if you made a financial pledge during the recently ended KPFA Winter Fund Drive, thank you so much. When you receive your pledge reminder, please pay by credit card or send in your check right away. If you didn't donate and you value this stubbornly non-commercial media outlet and wanted to continue making a difference to you and to others, please donate online today at kpfa.org. We appreciate your support. We really do. Our radio station is about discovery. KPFA's mission is to create alternative news, culture, and public affairs programs You are listening to 94.1 KPFA.